respect to the people of the Woi Wurrung and Bun Wurrung language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nations on whose unceded lands the SIN office and studios stand. SIN Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. SIN Media also acknowledges the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which SIN partner organisations stand. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, and this is Eleanor, Eleanor Rufenacht, and Eleanor is going to be the Disability and Carers Officer, one of the two Disability and Carers Office bearers for 2023. I am. It's very exciting. Yes. Um, as part of Monash University's Monash Student Association, they have a Disability and Carers Committee. Um, yeah. Office. Um, so tell us a bit about Disability and Carers or DNC. Yeah, sure. So the Disability and Carers Department is uh, special in the fact that it's an autonomous department but it belongs to the Monash Student Association. And we have our own committee, which comprises of students who identify as having a disability or also people who identify as carers or disability support workers. And essentially we, as office bearers um, and with our committee, work towards uh, advocating for students with disabilities, uh, also in their educational lives, but also within the university community. So we work with the MSA for events, um, and we also organise our own events to foster community and to ensure that all students feel supported. So disability and carers, so you offer um, support for students and you also do advocacy for students with the university itself to try to make Monash more inclusive space. Exactly. Um, particularly accessibility issues, issues um, in certain units and where educators might not be uh, as inclusive or understanding. So we really hope to, well, we seek to promote awareness of what it means to have a disability and how you can support people with disabilities and also work on dismantling systems of ableism that are very apparent in our institutions and also society. So I came to Monash in 2018 and I joined Disability and Carers not long after and it was one of the most inclusive spaces on campus and one of the most made me feel very confident and very happy in my university education. They have always been very good. They um, do a lot of wonderful, fun activities for students that are fully autonomous and they also do a lot of really good activism um, within the MSA to make um, sort of break down stigma of disability amongst students and also amongst staff and the university's administration to make the university more accessible for students. Yeah, I you've been involved in many events for many years, haven't you? Yes, I unfortunately have never actually been in the office bearer. There have been a lot of reasons behind that, namely due to the fact that it is a lot of work and it is a lot of things that um will take up a lot of time and a lot of people who actually do it have to take the year off their studies. Yeah, and we but the best part is that even if you're not an office bearer, you have the ability to have so much input and say and um, can contribute greatly to any projects that we work on or bring anything up as well. 
And it's not just two office bearers, it's also a whole committee and an honorary committee, which you can be a exactly. part of. And it's not elected in the same way that the MSA is elected. The committee is elected within our department, which is very important. And it's just students who are disabled and only students who are disabled can vote in the in the elections as well. Exactly. That's why uh, it's very important that we have uh, those options available for students with disabilities to um, be able to make decisions um, on areas that affect them and not people who don't have lived experiences. Yes, yeah, so, and the MSA, you know, is the Monash Student Association, so they have um, other autonomous groups, um, women, um, Indigenous people of colour, um, queer and disability. And disability. Exactly. So and we have a lot of student representatives and um, separate departments as well. So I've been involved in a lot of events. So one of the events I've been heavily involved in is the DNC Tea, which you hold once a week. And that yes. is meant for students to meet up with other disabled students on campus, get involved in a lot of advocacy. And we just talk about, um, we just have um, a fun, we just talk about, you know, we can talk about anything at those events and it's a lot of fun. And being everyone from a disabled perspective, a lot of the conversations are much are not as hard for people to have. They are much more in, they're, they're yeah. not, you know, inclusive conversations and it's a safe space for people who are disabled to talk about it. And it's not just that. We also have like a safer space of policy. So it's even if you're, you know, people who are, you know, queer, we're not going to say anything as offensive and that as well. Yeah, I think it's so important to have these safe spaces, particularly in, for example, university, which can be extremely isolating um, because there are so many barriers to even getting to university for a lot of disabled students. Um, and also the pressure of, for example, you know, individuals who are masking um, their disabilities or um, get very anxious about social situations. It can feel really hard and it can feel just absolutely draining and exhausting to constantly feel like you don't really fit in and you don't really belong. And so DNC provides that community um, which gives everyone a place that they belong and can, you know, form fantastic friendships and social networks and have, find people who are equally equally passionate about the same areas as them and also just finding people that you could really relate to and um, share you know the same experiences with it's it's pretty important and really special i think um one of the most important questions that people you know is what made you choose to become an office bearer what sort of made you you know decide to take on this very very exhausting and difficult role a lot of people would argue is very hard yeah so disability um advocacy has been something that has been really really prevalent in my entire life very 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 important to me um i grew up in switzerland so i had a very hard time there because there's not a lot of accessibility and consideration for students who are different or have different needs um, and moving here 
it became like quite, it came to the forefront of like my focuses. So I study psychology because I'm particularly interested in developmental disorders. And um, I also became a disability support worker for uh, about one and a half years, which was an extremely full on position. And um, I also, have done a lot of advocacy and had a lot of involvement with um, like federal disability politics. So I follow that very closely and have done quite a few different things with the Australian Network for Disability on Disability. Um, and so for me, this was just like a bit of a no brainer, if I'm honest. Um, I just care so much about and I get so frustrated by the lack of, of representation and the lack of accessibility, even just within uni and within our education that I don't think people are even aware of because a lot of people don't understand um, how ableist certain structures can be because if you don't have a disability, you're not gonna see those things. So even though I knew that an office bearer position would be quite time consuming and definitely a lot of hard work, it was something that I just knew I had to commit myself to because this is what I'm doing anyway. Um, it's kind of what uh, my entire life revolves around is, is focusing on how I can better make the world around me more um, accessible and then also work towards advocating for students with disabilities and um, I thought this would be the perfect position where I can actually have sort of a voice and a position to do that. So not only do I have these ideas, but I can actually put them into practice and I can actually hold certain people accountable. And that was really important for me um, as well as just like, you know, <laughs> being an advocate for our community and working within our community and developing stronger connections. And I think this is a fantastic learning opportunity for me too, honestly. Um, I'm very excited. I think um, that is very true. And as a disability advocate myself who was taken upon since Raise the Platform role, it is so important to just, you know, create inclusive societies and create societies that are, you know, caring and helpful for disabled people because it is a very very hard in some cases you know we, we, we face a lot of challenges with being a disabled person and with being disabled people living and it can be very hard for us to just you know be included and have you know people be more understanding of a disability so it is so important to break down those structures and to just make us feel you know safer and feeling like we can be included Exactly. And I think it's a very interesting area, which is some people say, oh, I don't want to get involved in politics. I can't be bothered with that. But when you grow up as someone with a disability, you're involved in politics, whether you like it or not, because people are, you know, debating your value and debating if you're worth it and you're being faced with all of these very real issues and these experiences of ableism from like microaggressions to like full-blown discrimination and it's like you can't just 
ignore it. Um, so it's definitely a very hard thing to endure. But for me, I think being involved and doing anything I can in the positions that I'm in is just really important to me to um, spread, um, spread a, like, you know, spread a, like, sort of increase awareness and also spread, like, better messages and information amongst the public because there's so much misinformation out there and there's so many misunderstandings. And if we break that stigma, then we can make the world a little bit better for people who are growing up with disabilities um, in the future. What do you have planned for next year and your under your reign, really? We have, I suppose, a few key focus areas. So DNC obviously can cover a lot of ground and it's very easy to spread yourself a little bit thin um, going into a lot of different things and just being super on board with everything. So um, I'd break down our areas into maybe like three areas. One of them would be education. So... Within units, um, I think in particular, we have lecturers and professors and tutors who are experts in their fields. But just because they're experts does not mean that they are trained in being educators. And often there are a lot of tutorial exercises and um, procedures that are actually very inaccessible and they make it really hard for students with disabilities to learn or even go to uni and we would like to potentially implement some sort of education maybe module or um, process which means that there is at least a base knowledge and awareness of disability and how to um, be an educator that is inclusive of everyone. Um, secondly relating to education of being registered, you know, with DSS, for example, is that it should make things much easier for you to get special considerations because you're registered. So you shouldn't have to justify uh, and explain your entire disability every single time you need an adjustment. And at the same time, it, at the moment, it's quite often um, the responsibility is quite often put on the students to get all of their accessibility needs um, and their alternative arrangements met. So on tests, for example, a lot of students just don't have their alternative assessment arrangements applied unless it's an exam. But timed tests are going to be the exact same as a timed exam. So we want to see if we can sort of unif um, better uniform um, the DSS syst registration system and sort of streamline how that works with educators and professors and also um, ensure that it's not a negotiable situation. You know, a, a, a staff member can't say, oh, but do you really need your arrangements? Because first of all, even to have these, that, even to be registered, you would have had to have been diagnosed, you would have had to have gone through a lot of testing. And it's very frustrating to constantly have that burden on students to reach out and to constantly be fighting for basically the bare minimum, if if we're honest. Um, just like, you know, equity is basically all they're 
Like it's not like our students are asking for an unfair advantage and we want to make that process a lot easier and a lot less stressful um, for students so that they have better qualities, education and just better overall well-being. <laughs> um, then lastly on education, and this sort of connects with the next point, which is sort of events, we'd like to definitely work on educating um, students um, on what disability is and how to be a good ally. And now the reason I say it also connects to the next point, which is working within our own student community, is uh, putting, we already have a few events which educate on being an ally and, and what disabilities are. Um, and so that sort of would relate to education, but it also relates to um, our plans for like new and exciting events next year. So as much as like it can sound quite doom and gloom about, you know, uh, not having lots of um, rights and accessibility and, you know, a lot of ableism, I think a really big part of DNC is also celebrating ourselves and like celebrating our unique differences and like the awesome like strengths that all these different students have. So. We also want to be putting on lots of really fun and accessible events to just foster that community and uh, particularly increase engagement with DNC because I feel like um, sometimes students can be a bit hesitant, they don't really know. So we just really want to make it a very clearly inclusive space um, and a place to have you know fun and, and just enjoy yourself. So in that we'll be creating events and also making sure that the MSA events that are organised um, are accessible. There's no like specific um, like rule that you have to have certain accessibility because obviously often accessibility um, needs can clash with each other. So we can't ever implement, you know, a structure that says this is exactly what you need for everything. But we definitely want to be creating sort of some ground rules or some at least some minimum um some minimum requirements met um with all events on campus to make sure that they are open and accessible to everyone um and then lastly so we had education we had events so we're still sort of brainstorming the different events that we'd like to do next year um there was like quite a few different ideas like a camp for example there was a um a silent disco there was a lot of different different sort of options um we definitely want to maybe continue the auslan classes uh definitely be promoting the sunflower scheme which just recently launched we want a lot more events with um students for students with disabilities and who are carers, um, as well as combined events uh, within the community. So there were suggestions of like camps. Um, we definitely want the Auslan classes to continue, like maybe a silent disco. Uh, looking at neurodivergence through a queer lens, potentially looking at the overlap between being queer and being neurodivergent. Um, also promoting the continued 
law like the the law the sunflower scheme which was launched very recently and um having events that are just for students with disabilities and carers but also having events which celebrates us all together because a huge part of change and community is coming all together so it means even if you don't have disabilities it's really important that you get involved also which is something that we really want to um promote um and also elevate a lot of students voices through our events um by uh organizing things with our committee and then also um giving students sort of a lot of yeah autonomy and and an ability to also decide on what they might be looking for. I mean, we're always open to new ideas and um, yeah, new new events and concepts. When we talk about accessibility at Monash, um, what do you think Monash does really well and what do you think that they could improve on? And do you think the um, Student Association versus the University Administration itself there's a lot of discrepancy between those two, between they do well and they don't do well. I think that that's a really good question. I think that that's a very clear sort of distinction that you made, which is really important, is um, when I'm thinking of all of the really positive disability things that happen at Monash, I do tend to think of DNC and less so sort of the uni. The good thing that the uni does do is once you have a disability advisor, they tend to be really great at advocating for you. And on top of that, universities are not like VCE. And I don't think a lot of students realize this, but um, in VCE, you have to provide heaps and heaps and heaps of evidence that you need that extra, say, 15 minutes for writing speed, for example, or that you, that you really need to describe. And it was the same in the IB program. And often if your request was rejected for scribe, you'd be too scared because you'd be like, no, my entire, my entire like application has been rejected. Now I won't be able to use a computer, for example, versus Monash actually has the ability to make their own decisions. If a student thinks that a scribe would serve them better and they're registered with DSS, they can get a scribe. Um, and it, they don't have to pay anything. They don't have to do anything. They just have to communicate with their disability advisor and that can be arranged. And same thing with if a student is really struggling and they can't do it in the amount of time that it's given and it's clearly related to, you know, their disability and their processing, you can, they just can change how much time you get per hour, which is something that I think is really important because people's situations and circumstances can change. You know, you might not need as much extra time in an assessment that doesn't require heaps of reading, but in an assessment with like case study type readings, you're going to require a lot more extra time because of your needs. And I think it's really good that Monash is open to um, giving you those different alternative arrangements and also um, having a disability advisor that you could talk to that usually get back to you within like 24 hours um, who will advocate on your behalf um, is really, really a fantastic thing. 
Um, and there are so many different types of alternative arrangements that you can get that are really great, like text-to-speech. You can be in a separate room. They can change your exams from being online to on campus or vice versa. And that flexibility is just so important, and I think it's, it's really great. Um, secondly, I would say, obviously, I think the extension system is definitely a positive at Monash. I mean, you can get longer extensions if you do have a disability. But that being said, I think it's also a bit of a criticism of the uni. Um, the extensions are the main things that I've always got as a student. And, you know, yeah. I'm, apparently there are some changes to the extensions. I haven't really heard about that, but it's... Yes. And I don't know first, what's actually happened? Yeah, so very annoyingly, <laughs> um, essentially they changed the... So after advocating, our current office bearers were able to get uh, flexible extensions in the fact that if you could apply two days after the deadline and still receive an extension without having to provide copious amounts of supporting documentation. However, um, recently they changed the system, and this has happened a few times. They changed the special consideration system without consulting with students so they just suddenly changed the forms and they changed the amount of days that students could apply for an extension for so usually dss students can apply up to 14 days uh, and if it's longer they need to provide uh, a large amount of evidence to that and supporting documentation but they actually changed it now so you can only apply for say a maximum of 10 days which is barely anything more than uh and they were actually wanting to do it even less but um i know the current office bearers were saying well <laughs> the average student who doesn't even have a disability is able to apply for a five-day extension how is that really any more at all uh, which is very true um, and on top of that, right now, the forms are sort of saying that you need to explain why your and how your disability affects your ability to be present and then how an extension will help. Which because it's silly because the point of being registered is that they can see what your disabilities are and they know that you have a disability. You shouldn't have to justify yourself as having a disability. The thing is, I've left that, that box blank and it's always gone through. Um, which I found, yeah. Kind of, yeah, I just, I always thought it was just like an error in the form. But is it actually? No, so it's something that has changed. And I've seen this because I received an extension recently and the email saying that I had been approved for my extension said that they had checked my registration with what I had said in my description to make sure that it matched and it like had it had been approved, but I had to, and it was, it was very sort of, it's quite intimidating. And for people who already feel guilty about, and are very rejection sensitive about applying for extensions and already feel like a bit of a burden due to like society and growing up with a disability, it's quite a, like, can be quite distressing. And I think that changing the forms in that way has not served of any benefit. I think it's quite dangerous to, 
change an entire system under the assumption that there are some people that are misusing it because it's much more greatly and negatively affecting all of the students who have disabilities uh, and are using that system just because you assume that there are maybe a few people that are misusing it. I think that we shouldn't assume that students are misusing it. Um, we should, you know, <laughs> the whole point of this system is, and a lot of students aren't registered when they when they should be, is because it, it was created to provide support. And that's exactly um, what it should be doing. It shouldn't be trying to intimidate you or really question your need for an extension because that's the whole point of being registered with DSS, you know, um, and having a disability. It's so annoying to have to constantly justify yourself and constantly re-explain your disability again and again and again. And from a psychological perspective, it's actually really damaging because we have things like stereotype threats where it's like when you're constantly reminded of your labels and identities and maybe cognitive deficits, for example, you're more likely to then perform academically worse, like, which is a really horrible prospect and something that we want to alleviate as much as possible. So I don't understand why they would change the system like that, particularly without consulting with students first, because um, I think students are the main people who are affected by this and the main stakeholders. And the fact that they can just make snap decisions like that, I think is, is, is definitely an area that I don't think is a strength in the uni. The second thing I'd say as well with disabilities um, and the uni is that, and this is something we'd like to implement, is there's not a lot of option for students to provide like anonymous or just feedback at all on the accessibility of units. So things like in the student reviews of units, uh, there's obviously two options, which is usually for, well, you get a little scale on how to rate how how engaged you were, how good you thought the tutor maybe was, and then you can add a strength and a disadvantage. But we think it would be really important for there also to be an accessibility section and component to these reflections, because sometimes your reflection on the unit might not be bad, but the accessibility of the unit was not great and you need to reflect that because that should be a priority. Um, so having that option for students to provide feedback on the accessibility of units and tasks and stuff. And similarly, maybe an anonymous form um, on the Moodle pages for each unit that is there. Hopefully, hopefully it's only there for like um, as a precaution. But if the units are not going very great for accessibility and a student is too anxious or scared to, you know, reach out um, and in a way that they are personally identified, they can fill out a form that is anonymous and say, hey, this was not really accessible or, hey, can you change this part? And then tutors and lecturers can choose to take that on or not. But at the moment, there's not even a communication um, platform for um, you know, queries and also complaints and criticisms yeah. and about disability. And it's almost identical to what I was doing when I started at Monash. I was originally doing yeah. the psychology 
German minor and theatre major, the extended psychology major as well. I dropped out because for two reasons. First, I had, you know, a change of interest towards history. And secondly, Mm. I did find I had some very bad experiences with ableism in that class. So (sighs) I feel that the class was very, you know, it was very accessible for me and I decided, you know, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I I had extremely poorly academically. I was mm-hmm. maybe I was barely passing the units, and in the yeah. year I just decided after one year that I wanted nothing to do with psychology at Monash anymore, and I just completely dropped out. And yeah, I, and the more I learn about Monash University's psychology department, the more Ugh. I realize that advocacy is needed. It is not an environment that is very safe and accessible for disabled students. And Monash yes. University itself has a very, very ableist history. Their psychology department has a very ableist history. And I definitely think the psychology at Monash needs to be, you know, really needs to be um, looked at from a disability perspective. I completely agree. I've had many, many, many challenging experiences with the psychology department at Monash. And okay. it's really tested me just like you and i have often felt like i don't know how much more of this i can endure and it has also had very negative impacts on my academic um, outcomes or just my mental well-being but i also at the same time want to keep pursuing this because i don't want to be (laughs) I don't want to like give in to these systems. So it's a very hard, it's often a very hard battle for me between hating, hating this, hating the accessibility and the attitudes whilst also really loving the subject. And the reason I wanted to get into psychology was particularly because there's not enough people who understand a lot of the disorders. Like there is so many issues with, um, with autistic theories, for example, um, and really bad practitioners who have quite big stigma against neurodivergent people and don't know how to properly like handle them and don't understand the experience properly. And that's exactly why I wanted to study psych so I could, you know, contribute to the field of improving things. But it has been extremely hard. Um, sometimes we do assessments in tutorials, which are assessments relating to cognitive performance, but we don't share our results anonymously. We're made to share them with the rest of the people around us. And for students with disabilities, these are often assessments that we already know we're going to perform really badly in. And it's just a reminder again of like where we fall short because we've been tested with these tests our entire life. And then they talk about the disorders that we have as if there's not actually people there with those disorders, which is really frustrating, um, especially when they preach support for students with certain disabilities. It just feels quite quite dehumanising a lot of the time um, because they explain these disorders as if the people there with them couldn't actually be there. Ever since moving towards a purely arts and humanities-based curriculum at Monash, one of the biggest changes was that science subjects like psychology are very much, they're very 
heavy based on exams and a lot of online assessments, whereas history, you know, theatre, they don't actually have any exams. I my most of my history and theatre and my literature units and all the German units still do have exams, but you know, the, the, those ones don't have exams. They're purely assignment based, and I feel that you know by doing a purely assignment based you know, university experience, I don't really get to, I have a lot of privilege in that, in that respect because I don't have to do exams. And a lot of Monash's accessibility issues are in their exam system. And so students who are doing mm-hmm. more science-based subjects have a lot of issues with accessibility. And that is so true. And even things with um, closed book assessments, uh, I think, Open book assessments are definitely something that is a little bit better, but even then it's it's quite challenging and it's just not related to the real world, particularly a lot of online type tests that are like multiple choice and very time concise. Uh, I've often scored badly because I overthought the question um, and I provided quite a logical answer, but I had thought too in depth about the rules and the law, and they were just looking for a surface level <laughs> answer. Um, and it's often like that is the phrasing of these questions are like deliberately designed to be confusing. And for students who struggle with comprehension and reading, they don't even understand what like is being asked. And if it was an assignment, you'd have a long time to, to you know, work on it and critically think about it and, but in a time test condition, it's kind of just setting students up. During um, during the pandemic, Monash University shifted from, um, you know, traditional closed book in-person exams to a lot of online assessment assignments instead of exams for all units, not just ones dedicated purely to, you know, that, that you know, traditionally would have had that type of assessment. Do you think that this sort of movement from traditional closed book exams is much more accessible for students and it's a way that universities should go from in the future i think it i think it definitely is when it's communicated earlier so a lot of my exams i wasn't sure if they were going to be open or not until very close before the exam but that's obviously that was just more of a psych thing it wasn't um something that affects a lot of units but um the, the we're seeing this with this ever-changing world is why would you do an exam um, which requires answers that you could just find from Google in two minutes? That's completely unrealistic and it's not a demonstration of your actual knowledge and ability to think and ability to do anything. So open book exams are honestly a huge benefit, not to just students with disabilities, but also most students in general, because it actually shows your ability to apply knowledge to situations and that means that you know it's not testing you on rote learned things and specific names and and dates and and things like that it's about like showing your demonstration of um putting that knowledge into practice which is way more real world applicable um in the job setting or yeah in everyday life is you're never going to be in a situation where you can't google something um, and I think that's why open 
exams are way more important in this current day and they're a much more accurate reflection on a person's true abilities and not just a person's ability to memorize because they'll just forget it you know with a few weeks later there's no guarantee people have remembered things a lot of people say that disability is like the last you know the, the last on the list the last stigma that people really have particularly amongst students and just you know staff members and i've had some rather interesting experiences namely that you know for a lot of MSA events, there usually isn't, for, you know, for Safe and Sexy Week, there really wasn't that much for disabled people. Um, for, um, you know, we now have these compulsory modules that we have to do and there isn't one for disability. Um, do you yes. think that this is, you know, a major issue that, you know, disability is often heavily overlooked and is still heavily stigmatised amongst communities? Yes, I think that, because you can't always see disability means that people just forget it's even there, if I'm honest. People are so, if they are, don't have a lived experience of it, it's so easy to not even think about disability or just assume that not a lot of people have disabilities. But a huge percentage of our population have disabilities and it's only increasing after COVID. And yet we have all these problems, even within, for example, interpreters are not allowed in the House of Representatives because of tradition. It's not even a specific law or rule. It's because of tradition. Um, how can we say that, you know, people with disabilities should be, you know, involved everywhere if we don't even let them into, like, if, we, if they don't even have places in Parliament? It's definitely just not good enough and we see that again and again in everything we do is like disability is a bit of an afterthought or they think it's more expensive and on top of that people don't realize the amount of different disabilities as well like people just assume that you know having a disability means that you know you're you are you have your hearing or, or vision impaired but it can mean a whole range of things like chronic fatigue syndrome um PTSD, all these things are a form of disability. And if people can't even think about the bare minimum disability requirements or access, then how can we even begin to progress to people that have more complex disabilities and needs? We can't. And it's, it is quite frustrating because people will just assume, oh, well, there's no one with a disability. And it's like, well, I wonder why. Often they're not there because it's not accessible and they already knew it wasn't going to be accessible. Or number two, it was because it's because they've been forced and traumatised into hiding their disability so much and enduring a lot of pain and hardship just to make everyone else feel comfortable. And we need to stop that. We need to <laughs> realise that also, and this is, bit of a personal opinion but moving away from the concept of abnormality and, and, and disorder and moving more towards the direction of difference because no we don't need fixing we're different and we need to be able to understand those differences to also accommodate those differences and they should be always at the forefront of our ideas and what we sort of like the events we create and this has come to the end of our show today Awesome. Thank you so much. We hope you have a wonderful 2023 and this has been Razor Platform on Sin.